Well, good morning, Bentonville Church of Christ. It's great to be together this morning. Let's start with a prayer. Holy God, we thank you, we praise you, because you became flesh and dwelled among us. And God, we stop today just to celebrate the birth of your Son, and the fact that you loved us so much that you came to a world uh, that was full of darkness to bring the light. You came to a, a world that uh, was full of death and destruction to remind us that you are the one who comes to bring life and bring it to the full, to overcome uh, death with your life, to teach us how to live. Father, bless us today as we learn more about you, as we glorify you, as we worship, as we pray, as we praise. May you receive all the glory and honor. In your holy son's name we pray. Amen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. Our story this morning opens on a road trip. Joseph and Mary are traveling. There's a census going on, and Joseph has to go. But a question we need to ask ourselves is, why Mary? Why does Mary have to be there? I mean, she wasn't of the line of David that we know of, and so why was she going with Joseph on the census? And I'm sure Joseph doesn't want to miss the birth, but in first century Palestine, men weren't anywhere in the room when a woman was giving birth to a child. She would be attended by her mothers and her, her mother, her aunts, her sisters, and women who had been through many other births. You see, Joseph wouldn't even be there boiling water. So why is Mary this, with Joseph this close to her due date? She didn't need to be there, but she was there. Why? It's interesting that Luke repeats information that we already know. We're told that Joseph went there with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Luke reiterates to us that they were engaged, but they weren't married yet, and many in town might have looked down on her. It was a scandal, and their friends and neighbors weren't totally sure what to do with them because they had brought shame on their community, on their families, on their synagogue. For many, it would be a disgrace. We're just speculating here, but we do know this. They left their home, left their family, left their comfort, but Joseph wouldn't leave his Mary. So Joseph takes a pregnant Mary on a 70-plus mile road trip in the last stages of her pregnancy with no real plan on what to do when they arrive at Bethlehem. And many of us, when we look at the nativity scene, we see a, peace, a scene of peace and tranquility, a scene of kind of this pastoral reflection and everything seems okay. But I want us to look at this nativity scene this morning. And what do you see? What do you notice? You see, I, I've seen this scene play out in many of the towns and cities that I've lived in, from Memphis to Buenos Aires. People who seem frazzled and down on their luck, no idea what to do next and no place to go. And as you look at this picture, you should see it's, it's gritty, it's raw, it's real. And it's full of these little illusions and some interesting interpretations. You see all these little signs and pictures that talk about the story of what's happening with Jesus. And as you look at the picture, it seems desperate, but at the same time, there is hope. I love the plant that's growing by Mary's feet. It's new life. 
but it also represents the shoot of Jesse that's growing up out of the ground. And in many ways, this picture is the story of God's grand entrance into the world. And yet most of us, if we saw them on this corner, would pass them by without a second glance. Because they are outsiders. They're people on the outskirts. And if we were Bethlehemites in the first century, we probably wouldn't want to get caught up in their story. And if we knew it, in the shame. You see, Joseph and Mary can't find a place to crash. There's no vacancies, no guest rooms available. Try down the street, just no luck. And finally, one person says, you know, look, you can crash with the animals, but really, tonight, that's all I've got. And they do. And Mary gives birth in a barn. Instead of being surrounded by helpful, encouraging family members, she had only her Joseph. Instead of a baby being swept up by loving, adoring family members, the the birth was only witnessed by cows and sheep and goats. The king of kings entered the world through the stables. God made flesh, was born among the stalls. The creator entered his creation, surrounded by the creatures. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a hay trough. And then the scene shifts. It's a cold night. The darkness is deep. The wind is blowing and the sheep are bleeding. And you've been out in the fields for a long time. And to be honest, you stink. Because sheep stink. I mean, seriously, have you ever been around a sheep? They're always outside in the rain and the wind and the snow. They will eat just about anything, and I do mean anything. And stuff constantly gets matted in their wool. And the funny thing is, these stinky, smelly, stubborn sheep, they are the perfect spotless ones that are dedicated and destined for the temple. They're the ones going to be sacrifices on the holy days. And as you look around the flock, you realize that you do care for them. You would give your life for them. You almost had a time or two. But man, these sheep can be stubborn. You see, they only seem to go in places that are either too dangerous for them or where they will get impossibly, imperfectly, improbably stuck. And so you spend your days wrestling sheep, wrangling lambs, tending to cuts and scrapes and bruises, getting them out of danger, and holding them to keep them from wandering away. So yeah, you stink. Because you smell like your sheep. They are the only things you ever get to see. Sheep and other shepherds. Because no one in the first century wants to hang out with a shepherd. It wasn't just their smell, although I'm sure that didn't help. But people looked at shepherds with disdain and disgrace, with scorn and suspicion. You see, when people saw a shepherd, their instant thought was, that guy is a robber. No one trusted them. In fact, they were considered so untrustworthy and unreliable that they were not allowed to serve in witnesses in a trial. The old adage would go, you can't trust a shepherd. Yeah, David had been one, the, the, the Psalms talk about shepherds, but most of the rabbis in the first century, when these shepherds would be allowed to listen to a sermon, would teach there is no more despised occupation in the world than that of shepherds. So, if you were a shepherd, how would you feel? We trust you to take care of the temple sheep, 
but we can't trust you to actually go to the temple. In fact, we don't even want you in our town. Now, on your best days, you'd probably just let it roll off your back. But sometimes it might really get under your skin at how people look at you and perceive you. So if we were to encounter the shepherds, or we would probably pass them by without a second thought, without a glance. We might even avert our eyes trying to not see them because they are, in many ways, outsiders. They are people on the outskirts. And if we were Bethlehemites in the first century, we probably wouldn't want to get caught up in their shame and their story. So here they are, here we are, on this cold, dark night, literally minding our own business, when the sky lights up in a flash. Luke tells us that an angel appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them. It was a brilliance, that weighty luminescence of the presence of God as that messenger arrives. One angel, just one, lights up the sky. And the shepherds, they were scared out of their minds. They were terrified. And the angel says what all angels say, do not be afraid. Honestly, I think that might be like day one of angel training. When humans see you, you need to know they're going to freak out. So the first thing you've got to do, all of our angel trainees, the first thing is you've got to calm them down. Don't be afraid, the angel says. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Listen to that message. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Really, there's kind of three parts here. Good news. Literally, it's, it's the word euangelion, the same word that we translate as gospel. The first people to hear the gospel in all of the New Testament, it's a bunch of outcast, smelly shepherds on a hillside. Then we have great joy. Nothing can surpass this. For Luke, joy becomes a major theme. It pops up in his gospel at all these different times, but it's always at the point at which God directly intervenes in the narrative. You have joy here at God's arrival. You have joy at God's spiritual works as, as you see healings and miracles taking place. You have joy at God's salvation. You have joy at the resurrection. Because in the gospel of Luke, joy is the response of the people when God does something great. So we're told it's good news, it's great joy, and this is for all the people. Many in their day thought salvation would be reserved for the Jewish people alone. And in fact, many of the, the Jewish people then thought it was really not for even all the Jews, but just for a select group of them. Maybe those who followed the Torah correctly, or those who had the greatest honor and respect and positions of power at the temple. Because in their minds, God only wanted the best the brightest, the spiritual, those who had it all together. You see, in their heads, God wouldn't waste his time on those who didn't have everything in their life kind of already squared away. But the angel here makes it clear. Who is excluded? No one. Who is on the outskirts? Nobody who doesn't want to be. Who isn't good enough? Well, nobody's good enough, and that's the point. No one gets left out. This message of good news and great joy is for everyone. 
everywhere. It's not based on merit, but on mercy. Not on goodness, but on grace. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This proclamation actually becomes a royal declaration. We have here a bunch of of these divine and royal titles because we're told this child would be Savior, the one who will come to rescue the whole entire world. And as we will discover as we continue in the Gospel of Luke, He has come to save the world from their sin, their shame, and their separation from God. So this child will be Savior, and this child will be Messiah, literally the Anointed One. In Israel's day and age, kings and priests were anointed to show that they were chosen by God. This kind of consecrated oil would come running down their heads to show that God is pouring out His blessing on this individual to be His leader, His guide for His people. But Messiah wasn't just for kings and priests, but it was also a title of expectation because the people were waiting for a Messiah to come a new king, one who would rescue them from political oppression and put them back in positions of power. They were awaiting a Messiah who would rescue them from the powers around them. So we have Savior, Messiah, and Lord. It's a title of respect. It's a title of honor. You would call somebody in a position of power higher than you, Lord. But it's also a title that's given to God himself. When Jewish people wanted to say the name of God or call on the name of God in prayer, they would typically use two titles. In fact, they still do this today. The first is Hashem, which means the name in Hebrew. But the second is the word Adonai, which is the Aramaic word for Lord. When you pray, you pray to Adonai. When you call upon the name of God, you say Adonai. Whenever you are worshiping and reading and singing and praying and praising in the synagogue or in the temple, you don't say Yahweh, you say Adonai, Lord. And so with this declaration, the angel is declaring in bold headlines, the one you have been waiting for is here. This is the good news that we've been waiting for. He has been born to you and he's right down the road. What are you waiting for? Go and see him. He'll be the one in the hay trough. You can't miss him. And then one angel is joined by hundreds more. And the whole angelic chorus begins singing. And if just one angel shone with the glorious magnificence of God, imagine the scene when the whole chorus arrives. And these are the words they sing, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We sing this song, Each Christmas season, angels we have heard on high, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory in the highest to God. Because all glory, honor, and praise belong to God and God alone. But the second statement is one that we also need to hear today and on earth, peace. When a Jewish person hears the word peace, it carries enormous weight and gravitas. You see, for us, we think of peace as the absence of war. 
But to a Jewish person, peace would mean so much more. The Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. It's a wish, a greeting, a blessing, a hope, a promise. You see, whenever you see someone, you you wish them shalom, peace upon you. And the word, the idea, carries this whole idea of wholeness, of justice, of righteousness, of things being made or set right. Because shalom isn't just the absence of war, but it's restorative, it's life-giving, it's all-encompassing. The peace of God is the restoration brought by God to humanity. And not just to humanity, but more so to an entire world and an entire cosmos that is in need of redemption. So glory to God and on earth, peace. And as the notes fade and the angels disappear, the shepherds hurry off, leaving those flocks behind because they want nothing more than to see this baby and to witness what God has done. So glory to God, peace on earth, and this is good news of great joy for all the people. And that's a message we need to hear today, isn't it? I am amazed at how God chose to bring these events about. You see, Paul tells us that it was the set time or the fullness of time. This was the perfect moment and exactly how God had planned to bring His Son into the world. And God chose to reveal Him through a young mother on the outskirts of society in a home not her own. A couple from a a working class background who had to leave town and move to escape stigma and scandal and shame. And yet this baby was good news. And God chose the shepherds as the first people to hear the good news. These are individuals on the outskirts of their society who carried their own sense of suspicion and shame. There's a lot of baggage in this story, but God brings beauty from the baggage. And isn't it amazing that the good shepherd was first announced to a group of shepherds? Isn't it awesome that the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, was first seen by those who tended the temple sacrificial lambs? And isn't it just like God to choose the shepherds, whose testimony meant nothing in the courtroom, to not just be the first ones to hear the good news, but also be the first evangelist to share the good news? And isn't it incredible that God made this salvation and peace available to all people, everyone everywhere, not just a select few? Because it doesn't matter where you come from, you can come to God through Jesus. It doesn't matter what your background, your class, your gender, your former former religious beliefs, or your lack of belief, your place in society, or your socioeconomic level. Peace is extended to everyone through Jesus. It isn't restricted to those that the world sees as worthy or important, but it's for the poor, the marginalized, the down and out, the immigrant, the day laborer, the refugee, the overlooked, and the undervalued. Whether you're the richest person in the world or the shepherd in a field, everyone has access to God through Jesus. This is good news of great joy that is for all the people, and that is what gives joy to the world. Think of these lyrics. Hear them with me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. 
because glory to God and the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So do you have that joy? Do you know that good news? Have you been saved by the Savior? Do you experience his peace? Is he your Lord? Because I want you to know that that is available to you today, right here and right now. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been or where you've come from. It doesn't matter what your reputation is like or the things that are in your past, because there is good news of great joy for all people. And if you want to know more about that good news, if you need to encounter that good news, if you need to to come into contact with that great joy that is for you, then I want to encourage you to reach out. You can send us an email at needs at bentonvillechurch.com. That's needs at bentonvillechurch.com. And we would love to be in touch with you and just hear how we can be a blessing to you to help you learn more about Jesus. Or you're welcome to email me. My email address is D as in Delta McGraw, Mike, Charlie, Golf, Romeo, Alpha, Whiskey, D-M-C-G-R-A-W at bentonvillechurch.com. Reach out because we would love for you to know this good news of great joy that is for you and for everyone that you encounter. This morning, as we close, I want us to hear this prophecy that reminds us that good news is available to all. The word of the Lord from Micah 5, starting in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephathra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock, and the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. So this morning, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace on those on whom his favor rests. May God bless you today.